Welcome to the latest episode of Be Attento. I am Jesse Ulrich, CEO of Random Productions and editor of this podcast. The Be Attento podcast offers helpful tips and stories from some of today's most successful entrepreneurs and investors, and is brought to you by Attento Capital, a Tulsa-based venture fund focused on driving returns through early-stage venture investment in local economic development and job creation. Attento stands for helpful, careful, thoughtful, conscientious, and polite. As Attento Capital seeks to embody these characteristics to all of its stakeholders. In today's episode, Sean and Aaron speak with Cecilia Wessinger, an ecosystem builder, community catalyst, and collaborator. She discusses what it means to build an ecosystem, what it means to be a healthy entrepreneur, and the power of saying no. So, we would love to thank you for joining another Be Attento podcast with our good friend, the incomparable, the amazing Cecilia Wessinger. Thank Cecilia, you we're so glad to have you on our show today. Well, thank you for having me, Aaron. I'm really glad to be here. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your story. So way back, no, I'm, I'm going to start with my family's from Taiwan. I was born in Japan. I grew up in New York City and I traveled around a lot and I met my ex-husband back in Taiwan. When I went to go find my roots, I ended up with a Texan. And so we lived in <laughs> Dallas for a minute. Dallas is not for me, but he got a job off from Muskogee and nothing, nothing against Muskogee, but we got to Muskogee and I told him to keep driving. So that's how we ended up in Tulsa. Nice. Wonderful. And so in that journey through that whole, those places you live, you kind of stayed here in Tulsa. What's kind of kept you around here? The interesting thing was I kept saying that I would move back to New York. So I thought, oh, when, you know, after my divorce, I thought, well, when my son graduates high school, I'll move back to New York. And then he got a, a scholarship to the University of Tulsa. So I thought, oh, I have a finite amount of time, so I'll stay with him here until he graduates to you. Well, he graduated a couple of years ago. He decided that he was ready for some adventure, and he taught English in Korea for a year. Hmm. Then he started bebopping around Asia. He lives in Taiwan, Japan, Australia. And then he got a holiday work visa in New Zealand last January. So he got locked down through COVID mm. in New Zealand. And good I good place to get locked down. Yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So the funny thing about not moving back after all these years of thinking about it, I go back a couple of times a year to New York. My dad's still there. And I see family and I visit friends and I cat sit for a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. My friend used to have this beautiful doorman duplex in the heart of the village. And I walked out of there one day right around Christmas, right? And I thought to myself, if money were no object, this is one of the places that I want to live, right? She lived at 77 Bleecker, right near McDougal, right near Washington Square Park. Mm -hmm. And as I walked out of the building, I watched all these people hustle and bustle and pushing and shoving and running off to where they were. And I thought, this is not my life. That's not the cadence that I want to live my life. She owned the place, but she spent thousands of dollars a month on fees. And she actually ended up selling it 
not too long after that because her name got pulled in a real estate lottery for a rent control department. And I thought, that's not a way to live. I mean, I, yeah, I get to go back and still cat sit for her, so I'm thrilled. But the, I don't, I, I didn't need that stress and angst for wanting to live more quality of yeah. life and more quantity of life. Yes. Yeah. So I get to live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I get to travel all over when there's no COVID. And I get to still cat sit for Marge when um, when she <laughs> welcomes me back. But I can have the things that I want, the lifestyle that I want, and not have to fight for every square inch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? It's one of Tulsa's magic powers, I feel like. It just keeps you here. It's, <laughs> you know, but it's not only that. It's the people that are yeah. here, mm-hmm. right? I would get pushback from my friends on the coast that said, where are you and why are you still there? And I I tell them all the time, come, you'll see. Yeah. The people here are really genuine. Not that there aren't genuine people in other places, but we have really strong networks of people that care. Yeah. And they do. This is the place where I've met the most badass women mm. that I've ever met. The people that I aspire to be like. And in New York, I'm inspired by women, but I don't necessarily want to be like them. Mm-hmm. Here, I could give you a long list of women that I want to aspire to be like. So that's, that's another one. So. That's awesome. That's powerful. That mm-hmm. is very powerful. When you are working your magic with working with ecosystem builders, okay, okay uh, let's talk a little bit about how you came into that space, how, your maturation. How did you get, first of all, initiated or are introduced into the space and then how did you begin to really mature through that process mm, yeah that whole initiation thing yeah so it's like a cult it's almost right? like a cult yeah it is yeah <laughs> i was a, a travel industry professional for 20 plus years i worked in corporate america i've worked in various aspects of the travel industry and just before i turned 50 i got fired from a soul-sucking job mm. I didn't know that that would be the end of my travel industry career. And I didn't really think about entrepreneurship. It was just the thing that my mother was an entrepreneur and my grandparents were entrepreneurs, but I didn't think about it, right? It was just the stuff that they did. So when I started doing, when I, after I got fired, I sat down, and I reassessed some things. And first of all, I just turned 50. So I said, well, I, just got back and I don't have a job. So I'm going to jump in my car and I'm going to see the last four states that I need to check off mm. so that I could see 50 at 50, right? And that summer I ended up driving over 10,000 miles. Wow. And 6,600 of it by myself. And when you drive a long time by yourself, <laughs> first of all, there's a lot of Springsteen discs that go through there, a lot of rolling down the windows, singing really loudly yeah. off key. But you think about stuff that's important to you and valuable. And I realized I made some commitments to myself and I dusted off an idea that I had. I'm sure lots of people that are listening will have ideas mm-hmm. and they won't necessarily action on them. But I realized that it wouldn't see the light of day unless I did that. Mm. So I got back to Tulsa. I jumped headfirst into entrepreneurship and through telling people, because that's another thing people don't do. You don't tell people you're going to do stuff, right? Because you're afraid. There's a fear in failure and there's a fear in trying things, the fear of the unknown. So 
I, I jumped headfirst into entrepreneurship and I got connected with One Million Cups. And it was the first time that I would tell people an idea and they'd say, that's a great idea and mm -hmm. instead of that's a great idea but. but exactly because i got connected with one million cups and other entrepreneurial things i got the attention of some people at the kaufman foundation they're the ones that sponsor one million cups and they were hosting their inaugural e-ship summit i have no idea what this was and so i got an email and i got invited and i said what is this i thought everybody got invited and that's not true. I thought that all the lead organizers got invited and I found out there were 10 of us. I went to a conference. I had no idea what it was, but when a big honking world renowned foundation on entrepreneurship invites you to a party, you go, okay, sure, I'll go. I said, so what is this thing? And they said, it's ecosystem building. And I said, what the heck is ecosystem building? And they said, all of you who support entrepreneurs to get just a little bit further, better connected, connect them with resources and introduce them to different ways of building framework and trying out their ideas. And I thought all that stuff that I do for nothing, that's right. a thing. Right. And they, because their goal is to eliminate barriers, they realized that if they were to help ecosystem builders, they would exponentially support entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So that's a really long way to answer your question. I don't think I've quite figured out that but that's how I got connected to ecosystem building I got invited to a party and I walked into a room 450 people 47% women 29% people of color It was the most beautiful room I've ever seen and you know when you walk in somewhere and somebody says I feel like I found my people yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a powerful feeling. It really is. I, I second that. I, I had the opportunity, myself and a colleague had the opportunity of going to the Eastship Summit back in 2018, I believe, and in Kansas City, Missouri. Mm -hmm. Amazing experience. This time it had grown to about six or maybe six or eight hundred people. Right? Yeah. And literally from around the globe, all disciplines, mm -hmm. industry agnostic. And people were just excited to be creatives and to be in a space where your ideas meant something. And, it, and most of them were impassioned about their idea meaning something for the advancement of the greater good. Yeah. And it's definitely a place you want to be for if you're an ecosystem builder or if you're in, a, uh, in an entrepreneurship ecosystem space. Absolutely. So so the summit that, that I went to first we had these things called missions. And basically what the Kauffman Foundation did was they asked all of the people present, if we were to make this a profession, like 10 years ago, there wasn't a job called project management. Mm -hmm. And now there's accreditation certification, yep. there's coursework, yep. there are job descriptions. What if we did that with ecosystem building? What would that look like? And by the time Aaron went to the eShip Summit, those missions turned into eShip goals, yep. which are very much foundation, uh, foundational to what the pillars are. So like the UN Sustainable Goals, mm -hmm. there are 17 goals or the world will implode. Right. Well, we have seven eShip goals. And if we can action on the seven eShip goals, then we can build a field. And the idea of it really stuck around like regenerative ecosystems yeah. and talking about 
how things flow. It's a lot of system thinking mm-hmm. and, and looking at the whole mm-hmm. and inclusion. So when you were at the summit in 2018 and I was sitting in the audience with you, mm-hmm. there's this big video that comes on. So Victor Huang, who was the then vice president of entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. spoke and welcomed everybody and Wendy Gillies, who's the, the CEO. And then they show this video. It's about navigating the fog. Right. That's what we call it. The fog video and helping entrepreneurs is like that. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like helping them see just a little bit further, because when you're an entrepreneur, it is like driving through the fog and you can't see what's on the other side or what's down Mm -hmm. the street. And ecosystem builders serve as guides and and maybe shine a little light and help you see maybe not your whole road, but a little bit further. Mm -hmm. Right. And what really blew me away was I didn't know that they had done this, but they had recorded an interview with me back at the One Million Cup Summit because I was a lead organizer here in Tulsa at the time. And we were talking about diversity. And all of a sudden, that video has my face on the screen. (laughs) It's like this huge screen and I'm up there. And I thought, oh, dear Lord, what, you know? And Andy comes up to me, Andy Stoll, the the senior program manager, comes up to me and goes, yeah, I thought about telling you about that, but I thought it'd be a nice surprise. (laughs) Well, at the end of that summit, I don't know if you remember, they said that they wanted to support all of the people that were doing the work. Mm. And so what they were going to do was bring on community managers or a community activator, which is what we ended up being called. And before I left Kansas City, I turned around to some friends of mine that I drove up with and I said, I think I'm going to throw my name in the hat. And my other friend, Aaron, said to me, you'd be a fool if you didn't. So for the last two years, I had the honor and privilege of being the community activator in support of entrepreneurial ecosystem builders for the Kauffman Foundation. So I became a consultant and I there was a there's a community of hundreds and but probably if you look at the email list probably about 1300 ecosystem builders that are here in the united states across the country and around the world it's been a pretty cool ride (laughs) so we just sunsetted the position and and there's a next phase which i'll be involved in tangentially but it's a cool experience and a lot is evolved and now everybody says ecosystem yeah yeah, yeah. it's like the cool buzzword i don't know that everybody knows quite what we're talking about but it's good we gave i think somebody said to me what we actually did more than anything else was we gave a language we gave people a way to articulate what this woo-woo kind of hippy-dippy thing is around building trust and connections and relationships that maybe there's no metrics for right now, but it's getting there. It's evolving. I liked how you brought up that the word ecosystem gets thrown around a lot because as a tech investor on our team, I use the word almost every single day. But before I met you, you and I had two entirely different definitions of what an ecosystem is. And I think your definition is a lot better. And so can you walk us through, like, for the people listening, like, what is an ecosystem? And what does, like, an, like a successful ecosystem look like? Well, interesting. I don't know that it's very different from what you thought. But, <laughs> so I'm curious. What did you think it meant? I had always kind of dumbed it down to, like, an equation. Like, you have strong 
local talent and human capital. And in the world that I'm in, it's strong technical talent. You have really great universities and not just great universities, mm-hmm. but ones that are tier one research universities. Mm-hmm. You have access to capital, venture capital firms, private equity firms, firms that can offer debt financing, things of that nature. And I think you you also have a, a very strong support of government and infrastructure. You have, there's direct flights to cities, much bigger cities like San Francisco and New York. And you have lo- support of local government who who supports that alignment across organizations. And so I, I, I'd always kind of dumb it, dumbed it down to, to an equation like that. But I feel like it's more than that. I want to take you away from using the word dumb because I don't think that that's actually, it's a facet of it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that, that it's... So for me, ecosystem building is a lot like improv. It's not either Mm. or, it's yes and. So when you think about those things, yes, those things are really integral to a successful ecosystem, especially one that's built on tech, right? Mm -hmm. So what do you do with the other people? So that's the other part, right? So for me, it's a holistic approach. It's a systems-wide approach. And Tech ecosystems can't just thrive on tech alone. Mm-hmm. It, re- it, it really in- needs other ways, um, other facets of it. So, I mean, think about it as a tech entrepreneur. You still want to go eat in restaurants that are creative and innovative, right? You still want to experience art and other things. You still want to shop in places that are interesting. So all those, what we call main street or local, like it's, and social entrepreneurship is going to matter too, Mm because you want to change the world in a positive way. So all those things build a diverse ecosystem. And I think that when we get um, very focused on one thing, it limits our capacity to think past that. Right. So if we, if we look at just tech and everybody focuses on just tech, we'd be pretty boring. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, we would thrive in one way or another, but it would still be very myopic. And nobody wants to live like that. I mean, you look at other communities. Think about the food scene in San Jose and San Francisco. Think about the music scene in Austin, right? It's not just about tech. It's not just about one flavor. Right. It's the more interesting because that's where innovation happens. So innovation is actually taking two things that were not together and building together something that's never been done before. That's what innovation and creativity That's powerful. Say that again. Say that one more time. So innovation and creativity are about taking two different parts of things, right? Two things that are sometimes unrelated and fusing them together Mm -hmm. and creating something that's never been done. I love that. So people would complain all the time about Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs wasn't inventing things, they said. He Mm -hmm. didn't make things from scratch. But what he did was he took something that worked and something else that worked and he brought it together. Think about iPhones. Mm -hmm. All those companies that he created, it was about rethinking. So he said, think differently, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what he was doing. So because he doesn't have 50,000 patents or, or just made stuff like Thomas Edison did, doesn't mean that he wasn't innovative. Mm -hmm. So, he saw the dots and he connected them. And I think that's what a lot of people do. A lot of ecosystem builders do. So when you're thinking about ecosystems, like why the term ecosystem? So 
Dan Eisenberg, formerly of Babson Institute, coined the term about a decade ago. He wrote an article in the Harvard Business Review, and that's the first time ecosystem was used. You know, when I say to people, we're about a decade into a movement, and it takes 20 or 30 years to create a movement. The Industrial Revolution didn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. So what you're experiencing right now is this disruptive phase or this evolution phase. So if Dan Eisenberg wrote that article about a decade ago, just under a decade ago, the Obama administration had decided that they were going to support 100,000 startups. It was part of their jobs act. And then they quickly realized that seven people in D.C. weren't going to be able to support 100,000 startups. So yay <laughs> them that they recognize that. And so what they did was they looked around at people that were helping people in their own communities. So Larkin Garvey in Richmond and, and Martha up in Maine and Trey Bowles down in Dallas and Andy Stoll in Iowa. All these people came together and it was an initiative between the Case Foundation, the Kauffman Foundation, the Obama administration, and partnered with like Techstars and Up Global and, and all these people around this constellation. And what did they do? They supported entrepreneurs, wow. but they supported them in custom and bespoke ways in their own communities. So they brought them together and that was Startup America. And there were about a couple of dozen champions of entrepreneurs that were brought together in Startup America. So as they got together and they learned from each other and, and had best practices, things evolved and you got out of your own head and you got this incredible brain power from everybody else, right, in the community. Mm -hmm. So then the administration changed, the program folded, they were trying to decide what to do. There's this, this legendary conversation in a bar in Vegas where they were trying to figure out if they were going to end up at Up Global or, or what they were going to do. And all of these ecosystem builders, these Startup America people were like, hey, we're not for sale. You can't buy and sell us. We're not a commodity. And Brad Fell turned around to them and said, well, you're e entrepreneurs. Figure it out. And so they said, yes, actually we are. And Startup Champions Network was created. Things like that evolve. There's lots of stories like that. And, and so this thing has been happening. And then in 2017, the Kauffman Foundation brought a bunch of people together. That's your history, your 101 of ecosystem Thank building. you. There are definitely a lot of people listening who, who are not aware of that, and mm -hmm. myself included. It's, I'm a digital native, and so I've just grown up around tech. And as I've kind of grown up, you hear words like ecosystem thrown around all the time. But people don't really explore like where it came from or what it actually means to be an ecosystem. There are a couple of people uh, who shall remain nameless <laughs> who feel that what you bring to a community creates an ecosystem, right? Oh. And a lot of communities actually approach entrepreneurial ecosystem building like that. And I think that, yeah, you could do that, but it's a little short-sighted for mm -hmm. me yeah. because... I feel like it's it's like mycelium. If you look at mushrooms, yeah. there's a network right. and it's connected and commerce happens. So even in indigenous tribes in the heart of the, the Amazon forest, mm -hmm. 
They have commerce of some kind or other. They didn't need somebody to come along and tell them how to trade and have a livelihood or sustain themselves. They didn't do things the way that we recognize. So it doesn't look like a tech ecosystem. It isn't the next Silicon Valley, right? But it still has something. And that's why when Victor wrote about the rainforest and thinking about collisions and serendipity, and in a rainforest, you can't tell what's a cash crop and what's a tech, the cure for cancer yeah. or a weed. Right. It just grows. And then if you let it thrive, some of it will naturally blossom and flourish. And some of it just dies off and fertilizes the next thing. Because then you get two failed founders that get together and go, hey, your thing didn't work and my thing didn't work, but we learned some things and you want to try something. And so that's that experimentation and all those things that I think don't happen enough in other communities. So that's my soapbox. <laughs> wow, that's that was awesome. Yeah. So what are some prevailing components of a thriving ecosystem? What are some things that are necessary? What are some things that are necessary? Well, there's a whole playbook I had the honor and privilege of helping to write. (laughs) We talked to a lot of people and we asked them what you see. And they said that ecosystems need to have one thing. First of all, you need to have diversity. And inclusion matters. And somebody said, and I wrote it down somewhere, that the idea is that if you do not intentionally include, you will unintentionally exclude. So inclusion is paramount. And the diversity is where all that creativity happens, right? And ecosystem entrepreneurs look like everyone. Yeah. And entrepreneurship happens everywhere. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, so being inclusive means that you don't just hold meetings from nine to five in the middle of downtown where there's no public transportation. It actually takes place on the weekends or after hours or with childcare or all those other iterations, right? So inclusion matters. Then after, with inclusion, you get collaborative culture. And the idea of collaborative culture is Everybody plays nicely in the sandbox, mm-hmm. right? So once you get a whole bunch of people together and they're playing nicely in the sandbox, then you have a shared vision. And the shared vision is like a North Star, moonshot. It doesn't tell you exactly how to do it. It's not prescriptive, but that we're all aiming the same way. Mm-hmm. And what we do is we aim to help entrepreneurs be successful. That's what we do. So I don't know what that looks like. I can't tell you exactly what the steps to take because each entrepreneur is different. Mm -hmm. But if we have that vision and we have a common lexicon, we say the same kinds of things. So when you say ecosystem and I say ecosystem, we're talking about similar things, right? Just like when you say entrepreneur and somebody else says entrepreneur. So that shared vision, that shared language is really important because you need everyone rowing in the same direction, which gets the connected networks. So those connected networks are where all of that serendipity happens and those collisions happen. A lot of pushback against silos, I hear. You know, silos to me are where you laser focus and get stuff done. So the problem is not actually the silo. The problem is the communication between the silos. Mm. So now you permeate the silos and you get them to look at each other and see what they're doing and go, oh, Your thing and my thing were similar. 
Maybe we can work in tandem. Maybe we can work next to each other. Maybe I see that that market's taken care of, so I pivot and do something else.、Mm. So all of that is important. That's why we replicate, and where we're fearful that somebody's going to steal your idea, and all those things. You know what? Nobody wants to steal your idea. They've all got ideas of their own, right? Ain't nobody got time for that. Like, and, and if they take your idea, the reality is that because of their share, their lived experience, they're going to put something of themselves in it, and it does become their idea, right? So, because you spark something, and then somebody does something similar to what you said, doesn't mean that it all goes away, right? It evolved. It became something innovative.、Yeah. Then you have universal support. Oh no! Wait, you have metrics and methods. So we have to measure where we are and where we want to go. Otherwise, we go around in circles. So metrics matter. Then universal support is bringing other people in, sharing the message of why entrepreneurship matters. All of those things are around universal support, right? Getting the educators and the government and all those people to start rowing in the same direction, and then there's sustainable work, so people actually get paid to do the thing that they're supposed to do. Hopefully, including ecosystem builders. There's a thread that runs through all of that, and that's storytelling. So it's not an actual eighth goal; it's the through line. So for universal support, that through line or that storytelling component is like a public service announcement, right? A message that you send out. For metrics, it's like a case study. So all of those things evolve, and if you get all those seven eship goals working, they're also nested and fractal, which means that they work for small communities like Ada, Oklahoma. And they work in big metropolises like San Francisco and New York. They're done by an organization or in a community, and they're also done by people across wide universal goals. So that's ecosystem building—the way that I I've been involved in it. Is there, in all, all your time, focusing on studying ecosystem building and working in ecosystem building? Is there a reason why, say, one city does it better than another city, or is it like, for example, let's use San Francisco? Like, what is it about San Francisco that allowed it to be the tech ecosystem, like the ecosystem, as opposed to, say, Des Moines, Iowa? Like, how did, what did they do right in terms of ecosystem building? They, it's a lot about density. Mm-hmm. So they had a lot of people thinking about things in a lot of different ways. People ask me the problems that you see in ecosystems. People ask me all the time, "What's the problem with this ecosystem?" Right, and it's usually that it's fragmented, it's siloed,、mm-hmm. it's heavily curated. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of ownership. So a lot of ownership meaning a lot of gatekeepers and a lot of scarcity mindset. So those are the things that work against people thriving, because when you only allow access and you only allow some people to have some of the answers, and then you elevate only those that you recognize. So tech founders, bless them, they've gotten a lot of recognition. They get a lot of people that bring in a lot of money. So. High growth companies are really powerful because they not only 
bring money in from outside. They bring talent in from outside. It's an attractor. So you also need the sustainable stuff inside. So when you talk about a thriving ecosystem that's small, you talk about people that are very well connected. They talk to each other. There's a need for all of those things. When you when you think about just trying to remember wanting to say where there's more access, there's more inclusion. Where there's more of a sense of belonging, where there's more equity, you're going to have better thriving ecosystems, right? The the when there's less fear and more connectedness. So trust matters. And does San Francisco have a, a corner on trust? I don't know. I know some great ecosystem builders in Des Moines, Iowa, and they're doing the things that they need to do because we look at things as this is successful and it's, this is not. When you look at, if you were to take ag tech, mm-hmm. Des Moines does it better than San Francisco does, right? Because Des Moines knows ag tech. But if you only judge it by the way that that you judge what successful ecosystem building is, I'm not saying that there aren't ag entrepreneurs or ag tech going on in San Francisco. There certainly is, and they're doing great stuff. But if you're only judging by one lens, then one thing is only going to look success- successful. Then Einstein said something about if you judge a, a fish, fish the, yeah, the ability to climb a tree. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, so if you're only looking at it myopically and saying this is what winners and losers look like, mm-hmm. then we're all losing yeah. because now you can't get unstuck from that thing. So when you talked about the equation earlier, mm-hmm. the formula. So the formula around the foundation a while, a a year or two, two years ago was 997 plus three equals a thousand. Out of any given month in a community, out of a thousand people, you will get three people that will try something entrepreneurial. Okay. That's an average statistically, whatever. There's some, some work around the foundation that will show that. So so now three people try on to be entrepreneurs. There's a job for the 997. The rest of the 997 of us need to support those three entrepreneurs. That's yep. our job, yep. right? And so when a community comes together and rallies and supports entrepreneurs, then you know what? Instead of 50% of them failing, then maybe next month four people try. And maybe instead of two fizzing out, then three become successful. And that's how we start. So if we can move that equation a little bit more, that's what successful ecosystems are. And Des Moines does ecosystem building just as well. They do it in a smaller measurement, right? They don't have the density. They don't have the population. So now if you were to take that number and exponentially increase it by the the square footage and the people and the and all of that then there's a lot of organizations that map it talk about startup genome and eco maps and mm-hmm. forward cities and all those community mappers chapman and company they'll give you all kinds of stats that you want on all of this stuff but really the measurement of a, a thriving ecosystem to me is if somebody were going to start something and they can go to somebody in their community and say hey I want to start something and that person or 
can point them in a direction or to a resource or the next step, that's a thriving ecosystem. You talked a little bit earlier about your mother being an entrepreneur, your grandmother being an entrepreneur, and I guess the impact that had on you. What uh, is that would give you the passion around this ecosystem building and helping entrepreneurs and dealing in such an intricate space? Is that part of what fuels that fire or, or what, what, make, what makes you so passionate about this? What makes me passionate about this? There's the things that in life that give you purpose. Mm-hmm. So for me, when I did all that driving around those 6,600 miles by myself, yeah. trying to figure out what it is that gives me purpose, that feeling of belonging, that connectedness to a group of people, when you found your people, that's a powerful thing to me. Mm-hmm. I asked myself a while back, like, what keeps me up at night? And I thought, oh, it's all that social justice stuff. I'm I'm passionate about reproductive justice. I'm passionate about inclusion, diversity, all those things. And what I realized is I'm a first-generation immigrant. I've been a first-generation immigrant twice. My family's Taiwanese, and I was born in Japan. And even though I was born in Japan, I'll never be Japanese. Then I moved to Queens, New York. And I lived in an Italian, Irish, and Jewish neighborhood. I didn't blend, right? So so now I'm always like not quite from here. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter that I spent all of my youth and I grew up in Queens. And I'm a Queens girl. Like you ask me where I'm from, I'll tell you I'm from New York. But Was your area code 917? <laughs> no. Oh, okay, okay. No, back in the day before it before there was a seven one eight, right? So thinking about those things, the first time I felt that sense of belonging was I when I went to high school. I went to a magnet school in New York where you had to take a test to get in. And I graduated with some of the best people. They're still some of my closest friends. In fact, since COVID. Every Friday night, we have a call. And sometimes we're on a phone on Zoom calls for like two hours, (laughs) just geeking out. And there were people I geeked out with. And realizing that that connection is so strong, that sense of belonging is powerful. If I can foster that sense of belonging, that's what keeps me going, right? The other thing is around this inclusion diversity stuff. I realized that my superpower is identifying dots and connecting them, right? So if I can get people to connect and engage and foster a sense of belonging, I'm living my life's purpose. Mm -hmm. So that's what keeps me going. And I guess that's what makes me an ecosystem builder is I I identify dots and connect them. One of the things I'm interested in, in hearing about a little bit more is the, so obviously, you know, Tenzo, we're, we're a venture capital firm. And mm-hmm. It's it's our mission to, to find high growth tech businesses and, and generate those risk adjusted out, outside returns that is very much expected of a venture capital firm. But we're also very, obviously, very economic development minded. And we're in the business of creating high quality jobs in Tulsa. And one of the things I liked about Attento before I joined was, I think there was this, it was probably just given the, the, the times that venture capital firms, the resources that we provide to these high growth tech businesses that we're investing in, I feel like these are some of the same resources that we could provide to the everyday mom and pop shop on Main Street. So could you potentially touch on that, how you see how 
venture can play a role in helping small businesses outside of the realm of just kind of high growth tech? So high tech growth, high growth, high tech is important. I don't want to, I don't want to take anything away from that. Like I said, it's what attracts from outside. Yeah. What happens with what people are calling mom and pop main street businesses is it keeps the money and the jobs here, right? So it's about retention where, where high tech, high growth thinks about retention but doesn't think about it in nearly the way that we think about attraction. The other component to traditional economic development is creation. So the three pillars of traditional economic development are attraction, retention, and creation. In order for us to all thrive, we need to have all those things happening. Unfortunately, what happens is Again, we get very focused on one lens and we do one thing, especially if we do it well, right? Then we kind of hang our hats on, oh, this is what we're epically good at. And we don't flex that muscle or we don't stretch to do the other things. Knowing that it's like a three-legged stool, it's going to need other things to happen. That retention matters, right? Businesses need to thrive here locally, just as they need to thrive in other places. And then there needs to be creation. That means evolving and sharing and and supporting entrepreneurs that are just starting out because you can't tell what's winners and losers. And if we only judge things by winners and losers, then people get scared of trying trying things. So there is no fail forward if they don't try. So part of what a VC org can do is be able to support and elevate some of that. So I have some issues with words like empowerment because literally you have to have power in order to empower, right? You can't share power if you don't have it. So empowerment means that you need to have something in order to share. Venture capital organizations like yours have something that they're able to share. And what you have is some attention of people, right? Mm -hmm. So people are paying attention to what you're doing. You have funding. You have people that are engaged and wanting to be somewhere in your constellation. So with that influence comes responsibility. Now you have to decide what you're going to do with it. So it's an invitation as much as it's a challenge. Yeah, I couldn't have put it better myself. That was wonderful. Talk a little bit about the entrepreneur's journey. Well, see, now you're talking about a, a, to an entrepreneur who never actually started, right? Well, I did start. What I didn't was I didn't execute on it. So I had this great idea. I was going to create a, a food, I guess, a replicatable concept. So my food concept Still a great idea. I think it's some of it's taking place in, in different forms currently across the country. And, and I was going to do this a number of years ago. I tried the idea. I tested it out. I did my customer discovery. I entered startup competitions. I won um, a, a part of a startup competition. I didn't get to the finals, but I won a division and I was recognized. I took part in one of the first food incubators in our community, which was great. And so all those things were happening. 
And here's another part that's really important. You have to have really good people around you, people that invite and challenge you to do better, right? And I had a, I have a food entrepreneur mentor who's been in the business over 35 years. And she is one of my very best friends. And she tapped me on the shoulder one day and she said, I love your concept. I think it's a really great idea, but this isn't your life. Right now, in order to execute your business, you need to be a cook and you can cook, but that's not what you want to do. You have other skills, you network and you market and you, you advocate for people and you do all these things. And so you should take those skills and do something with them because I don't know that if you keep going down this path that you will be successful. So she basically squished my dream. And it was the kindest thing anyone ever did, right? Because you could be nice to me all day long right. and tell me that's a great idea. And you know what? It's still an effing good idea. Yeah. But it wasn't for me at the time. And if I didn't have somebody who cared about me enough to challenge me and invite me to do something else, I wouldn't have ever gone because that was around that time that I got that email from the Kauffman Foundation that said, come to the eShip Summit. And I thought, well, hell, my dream is squished. I might as well go, right? So that's a pivot. And yeah. it's things like that matter, yeah. right? So people to tell you not only the things that you want to hear, but the things you need to hear. That's good. Yeah, I think that's one thing I've learned in my role is that a no could always lead to your next yes. And sometimes it's heartbreaking when someone tells you that I don't think your your idea is worthy enough of an investment, but I think it also gives the founder an, an opportunity to go back to the drawing board and kind of fix some things. And Here are the things that I see commonplace around VC, right? First of all, there's a big assumption that everybody should go down this path. Venture capital is not for everything, mm -hmm. right? right? And I think that we don't do enough educating right. and enough yep. information to say, hey, you're a bootstrapping entrepreneur looking at a food concept. First of all, institutions like banks are not going to invest in you, right? right? If you're lucky, you'll get an SBA loan, but this is not your path. There's an assumption that people get friends and family rounds. That's not a reality for a lot of entrepreneurs. They don't have friends and family that can contribute in the ways that make an impact. Right. What we can do is help support organizations to get mitigated risks. That's what an organization like a venture capital firm can do. You can set up a fund and take it small chances, right? You don't get to fail forward when everybody's risking trying, and then all we do is uphold the winners and talk about winners and losers. It's either or, and that doesn't work for everybody. So that's where that whole language and education and mm -hmm. all of that needs to change. That culture that we've set up, Shark Tank mentality, right? <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's dangerous. Oh, well, let's let's just embarrass the hell out of you. Yeah. yeah publicly yeah. and tell you how horrible your idea is, or let's negotiate on what you're trying to, these are people's dreams. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think having been on the other side of the table before, having previously worked at a few different startups, 
you learn to develop a certain sense of empathy when you do and go and become an investor. And it's such a key trait to be an early stage investor. You have to have empathy because otherwise you become more of a burden and less of like someone who actually help a, mm-hmm. help a founder. And that's one of the things I've realized is I can say no, but I can say no in a way that I'm going to, I'm still going to help you. I want to support you. And I want, cause I, I want you to be successful because Right now, you may not be where I want you to be, but five ten, that doesn't mean in five, ten, even six to ten months down the road, like you, you're not going to be there because you could well, be there. It's the why, yeah. right? Because people don't tell you why mm-hmm. you failed the test, yeah. but we don't tell you why you failed the test, or maybe you didn't have the answers that we were looking for. Maybe I wasn't the solution for you. Can I point you in another direction? Can I introduce you to somebody else? Because you know what? You have the social cred to be able to do that. And we yeah. don't do that nearly enough. You know why? Because it's not my table. Right? Yeah. 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 And so, so it's like uh, you're in front of me for this long and I get to tell you this. And then you go away. And, and sometimes they go away and they never try again. Yep. But if they, were, if they had somebody that told them, you know, these are the things in your proposal that didn't work for us and we're not the right people that you should be talking to you should talk to these people Mm -hmm. right we don't do series a investment or whatever you know an entrepreneur trying out stuff most of them don't know what all of that lingo means right they just know that you have a bucket of money the next phase around ecosystem building also becomes to me personally it's getting past the bucket of money yeah, because money cannot be just the only marker of success. Yeah, it is what we value currently. Right, right. It's that bucket of money, and I don't know about you, but it's been fifty years since Milton Friedman wrote about financial maximization, and I'm done paying for his soul. Mm-hmm. So what you're actually <laughs> what you're actually seeing right now, the last two books that came out last year, last November. Simon Sinek, the start with why guy, wrote a book called The Infinite Game. Mm. And he said that businesses should be perpetual. You don't want to be the best something because what happens to you after you're the best something, right? Avis always tried harder and Hearts was number one. Well, look at them now, right? So there are ways that you continue innovating because you don't just reach the plateau and go, yeah, we're good. The other book that came out was Yancey Strickler, the co-founder of Kickstarter, former CEO. You know that Kickstarter is a PBC. It's a public benefit corporation. It's never going to go IPO. It's not structured that way. Mm. But Yancey talks about making value-based decisions. And so he's got a whole practice around how do you make decisions when the bucket of money isn't the end goal? Right. How do you work towards something else? So there's another and that's where the we're in this regenerative era. So if you talk to people like Carol Sanford and and David McConville over at the Buckminster Institute, they look at ecosystem building as a regeneration. It's how do we give back and how do we thrive and how are we all sustainable? It's not transactional. It's relational. So that goes back to the whole ecosystem yeah. building part. I love what you said earlier about how you're, you you like to connect dots and connect people. And I, like Aaron and I are in this really, we have two really great roles where like 
we can be the connectors of people and like in, in my role like even if i say no to a company and an opportunity like i still love being a value add to that business in some way and and, and like whether it's a no or a yes i think having that mindset that you can always add value is significant not just to that founder but i think it can definitely add value to to the ecosystem as a whole mm-hmm. as well what i tell people all the time around <clears throat> around the power of no is that a yes will make you feel good, but a no will save your life. And sometimes hearing no can give you just what you need to become who you are to become and versus taking away something that you should not have become, right? And so we, uh, a lot of times we don't want to hear no. I was in sales for years and, or for a few years and I did really well. Part of the reason why I'm not in sales anymore, because I didn't want to hear no anymore. Like, right? So, so hearing no, it took me out of an area that I wasn't meant to be in. It made me pivot. I'm not a salesperson. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, the argument is that we're all salespeople, right? And I was in sales for a while too. That was part of my soul sucking stuff. But I realized that one of the best jobs I ever had, believe it or not, was in timeshare. And that oh. gets a really bad rap. And I will tell you that the things that I learned being a salesperson and a sales manager and a sales trainer around this stuff is that you can look at it differently. So we were assistant buyers. Mm -hmm. We helped people buy the thing that they wanted. We actually, the company that I worked for before they sold their souls, um, (laughs) (laughs) used to be probably the second highest, no, literally the second highest rated vacation ownership company after Disney. It's very hard to compete with the mouse. But, <laughs> but the, the thing, the reason that they were satisfied with their product is because, and I had the best job in the industry. My job, my role, the one that I wanted and the one that I got was that I was the owner education manager, which meant I traveled to sales sites and resorts and I showed owners how to use what they bought which is phenomenal because mm-hmm. then you get a whole bunch of happy owners. They actually got to do the things that they wanted to do with the thing they invested in. Wow. And I might need to make a career pivot. <laughs> but that, that actually helps, right? That's so that powerful. made me feel good about what I do. Mm-hmm. And what I did was I helped them do the thing. So that's what we don't do enough. We sell, mm-hmm. right? That's a transaction. Right. I built relationships. It's relationships, yeah. exactly. Right? Yeah. So I helped them book a vacation. Mm-hmm. There was a, a police officer I knew here who actually bought into the program like a dozen years ago. And when I was the owner education manager, I called him up to, to invite him to bring friends in. And he's like, well, no, I, I don't even use what I have. And, and I've got to go because i got to book my trip to Vegas. And I'm like, we've got three <laughs> resorts in Vegas. Which one are you going to? He's like, none of them. I said, why would you not go to something you own? And we had this whole conversation. And so I, I walked him through it. He called me from Vegas. I'm checking in now. What do I have to do? I'm like, tell them who you are. He's like, that's it? I said, yes. And then he went. And then when he's checking out, he's like, okay, I'm checking out now. I said, okay, did you have a good time? He said, yeah. So then get on the plane. (laughs) What else am I supposed to do? I'm like, give them back the key. (laughs) And, And he left and he was blown away because... He actually got what he's what supposed he to get, for, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's a big difference in sales. Mm-hmm. 
if you sell to somebody and you don't expect ever to see them again, mm -hmm. you're going to treat that sale very differently. Right. And if you're building a relationship, then you're in your lives forever. So even through that horrible experience that I had, I'm still friends with a lot of the people that used to be our clients, right? We're friends now. And, and one of the promises I made to myself during that big road trip was I was never going to let anyone judge me by how much money I brought them ever again. Mm. That's not my value. Right. Mm -hmm. So if that's not my value, I can't translate that to be what you are right. to me. Right. So if you bring me a great idea and I get to decide whether or not I'm going to invest in your idea, we're creating a bond in a relationship. It needs to be mutually beneficial. Mm -hmm. Right. It can't just be I'm going to give you this bucket of money yeah, yeah. and then eventually you're going to give me back this and more. Yeah. And that's a win. And then we're done. Right. Mm -hmm. Because what the win is for entrepreneurship is when we get serial entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then they become serial mentors mm -hmm. for other people that are trying stuff out. That's how we create vibrant ecosystems. It's not a one-off. It's not the unicorn, right? That's why I don't believe in unicorns. We like, you know, if you know about the movement about Zebras United, Zebras United are really powerful. It's about supporting female entrepreneurship. Do you know that zebras travel in a herd? Mm -hmm. They really believe those things. And you know what a group of zebras is called? What's that? It's called a dazzle. Oh. <laughs> we need a dazzle in, Dul in Tulsa. Totally. And if we can bring Zebras United into this community, that's a win too. Yeah. You also know that zebras herd with wildebeest. Ah, see? It's a co-mingling thing. Do it's you know inclusion. why? Do you know why There's, their ecosystem is like that? Because there's safety in numbers and they can help each other. Because yep, because one sees well and mm -hmm. one hears well. Right. And so they somehow they were able to figure out with the inability to communicate the same language, they were able to figure out that the other one does the other well. And that's why zebras and it's wildebeest. It's a symbiotic relationship. Exactly. So that's why you go back to that whole ecosystem the analogy. ecosystem, yeah. All right. So we talk about ecosystems, and there's a whole bunch of language around that. And after all, several years of being in around this stuff, I still think it's a yes and. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we can only go for the regenerative nature-bound ecosystem analogy. Right. There needs to be some intentional leadership, right? The kind of leadership is not like a, I have all the answers kind of thing, yeah. right? It's, you know, if you Google a bunch of leaders, you'll get a whole laundry list of people who are managers and governors. Mm -hmm. Those to me aren't about leadership. No. Leadership to me is, I like the, the Margaret Wheatley vision of leadership which is creating islands of sanity and chaos, mm. right? That's what leaders do. General McChrystal has this great book about team of teams, and that's about building and supporting the people that are under you to be able to action on stuff, right? That's why the army has after action meetings, mm -hmm. because what came after the thing that you did mm -hmm. matters. What you learned from the thing that you did matters. All of that stuff goes back to feed that cycle. How, that's how you get smarter. 
If you just keep doing stuff and you don't learn anything, you're not going to get any smarter. Right? And I don't have all the answers. I just have a lot of questions, but my questions have to be bigger. It can't just be, what do I need to do here? It could be like, what does a thriving ecosystem look like? And then maybe that's the North Star and you bring your boldest and best ideas. Mm. Right? It's, not, it's like Kennedy and the moonshot. He didn't tell you how to go to the moon. He said, we're going to go to the moon and we're going to support the people that are going to do that. And then we got things like Teflon and Velcro, mm -hmm. right? Because those are the things that needed to happen. That's innovation. Yeah. That's a big, bold idea. You never know what's going to come up. What is your advice to other ecosystem builders and founders, regardless of their business that they're working on, whether that be high growth or they're doing something that's not tech related? What's, what's, your, what's your advice? That's my advice. So I'll take the, the Kauffman Foundation had a tagline that entrepreneurship is a community sport. Then we added a tagline, which is ecosystem building is a team sport, right? You got to do it together. You can't ecosystem build by yourself. If you're ecosystem build by yourself, that's ecosystem building. It's not ecosystem <laughs> That's so, a shirt. That's I a love good, that. Yeah, that's I a good slogan. That. That's a shirt for a slogan yeah. for a shirt. So, so find co-collaborators. Find other people. They don't have to be doing the same things you do. And maybe if you get together and you start talking about it, you'll learn something from somebody else. It's the collective brain power. Yeah. So we all have parts of the answer. And if we do things together, then we're going to learn and we're going to get to places that we never thought we could get to. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, this has been wonderful, Cecilia. Amazing. I, I, I hope our listeners really enjoy this. Cecilia is just a wealth of information. How can one get a hold of you if they would like to schedule some time or if they would, is there some email address maybe they would use or? So my consultancy is called Mass Collaboration. Okay. So it's masscollaboration.org. So you can put that in, ceciliawessinger.me. It goes to the same site. It has my musings and ways to get in touch with me, but it's all about collaborating together. So Mass Collaboration. It's hopefully easy to remember, right? Well, mass Collaboration. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. This has been wonderful. Thank what you. a wonderful way to awesome. start off our year. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Be Atento podcast. You can find this podcast anywhere podcasts can be found, and make sure to subscribe and to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to follow Atento Capital across all social media platforms. And we look forward to speaking with you all again on the next episode of Be Atento. Be Atento.